morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, it is great to be together again on Easter Sunday. I, I remember um, when in, we thought, oh, maybe by Easter we'll all be together again after the lockdown. And then, and then and Easter came and went, and we were like, okay, well, maybe next Easter we'll be together again. And, and uh, well, here, here we are at long last. And, and so it's just good to be able to be, be in person again. And, and as Eric said, we'll be able to share a, a celebratory uh, brunch together afterward as, as well. So thank you for, for joining us for worship this Easter. Sunday. I want to begin this morning by recounting a, a story from uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the land of Narnia, it's been under this spell of the wicked ice queen. I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with this story. And so they're in this constant, perennial, forever state of bleak midwinter. Uh, no one remembers a time when it wasn't winter. The sky is dark. The earth is hard as iron, it's always cold, it's always icy, it's always winter here. It's as if winter was all there had ever been, and winter was all there was to come. In this world, death claims all of us, every single one of us, not one of us is spared. The statistics on death are impressive, aren't they? They, they never change one year over the other. One out of one people. One out of one people die. Last week I spoke to a friend who is in his final days. Um, he's dying of a degenerative disease. Um, my sister called. This all happened last week. My sister called from hospital. Her husband, my brother-in-law, one of the best people I know, he, he was in hospital, his blood pressure through the roof, difficulty breathing, chest pains. Um, then the following day I spoke to a friend who was in hospital he'd had a massive heart attack the night before he's 41 had this massive heart attack uh, what they call a widow maker uh, the doctors got to him just in time they said hey, you've been in here 10 minutes we'll give you we've got 10 minutes to do this so sign this agree to this and, and we need to make this happen um, I also spoke to all of these people, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, so relatively young. Uh, I also spoke to a friend whose father died of COVID complications. Death, near death, the threat of death. It's been, uh, it's been a week. It's been a week. Death is the one constant, the one predictable thing, the most certain thing in life. We can count on it. And in this world, like the perennial winter of uh, in Narnia, it looks as though death is sovereign. We, we don't remember, none of us remember a time when death did not reign here. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. He came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and taking Jesus' body the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And in our own perennial winter, when death takes another loved one from us, we are robbed of their presence in our lives and we are made to feel death's sovereignty and reign here once again. 
Um, we offer each other words of comfort, don't we? And often these words of comfort come in the form of this, this sentiment that is expressed in this poem that is read at thousands of funerals every single year. And it goes like this. Death is nothing at all. It does not count. I've only slipped away into the next room. Nothing has happened. Everything remains exactly as it was. I am I, and you are you. And the old life we lived so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. Whatever we were to each other, that we still are. Call me by my old familiar name. Speak of me in the easy way which you always used. Put no difference into your tone. We're no forced air of solemnity or sorrow. Life means all that it ever meant. It is the same as it ever was. What is death but a negligible accident? Why should I be out of mind because I am out of sight? I'm waiting for you somewhere near, just around the corner. Nothing is hurt. Nothing is lost. As I said, this poem is read at thousands of funerals every single year, and it's meant to convey the idea that death is really nothing, that, that actually there's this, it's the natural course of events. It's the way things have always been. It's the way things are supposed to be. The irony is, is that if you were to actually read the rest of the poem, because it's actually part of a larger body of, of writing that, that, that's sort of extracted from read out of these thousands of funerals every year, but, but actually, if you put it back in its context, the author is actually trying to make a very, very different point. The, the author is saying, yes, of course, we can think about death from this perspective, and we can try to look at it from, we may even prefer and like to think of death this way. But that's not really like that, is it? Because it's devastating, and it wrecks, and it shatters lives, and it rips us apart from the people we love the most and all the relationships we've invested in. I think recently of Julia's sister, uh, I know some of you know the story, uh, she was 12 years old when her mum died. Julia, I mean this is Julia's mum as well, but Julia was an adult, but she was only 12 years old when her mum died. Then at the age of 19, so this is about two and a half years ago, she discovers that she's got a very rare form of blood cancer. And she goes through chemotherapy and at first it's working, but then it doesn't and it's, she starts to uh, have all sorts of really bad side effects. By the end of 2020, we thought we'd lost her. We were talking to her on Zoom, and we, we couldn't go and visit her because of travel restrictions. We're talking to her on Zoom, and we're, she's lying in bed, and she can't get out of bed. And we thought, this is, we're going to lose her. Then, at the beginning of 2021, the doctor started her on T-cell therapy, and they started her on immunotherapy, which is very different from chemotherapy, and it was miraculous. It was like a resurrection. It was it's like, you know, two weeks later, she was up and about and living and alive, and, and, and so she goes through this treatment, and four months into this treatment, she's told the best news you can be possibly told when someone's going through that. Uh, and that is she's in remission. They use the, the R word. She's in remission. And so this is, this is wonderful. Then two weeks after receiving this wonderful news, she calls Julia and she says, it's dad. He's had a heart attack. And then she just can't get the words out. There's, she's just choking up. And Julia's like, what do you mean? He died. And they had tried to revive him for over an hour. They, in, they injected him with adrenaline and everything. And they tried everything. And not, nothing. They just couldn't couldn't bring him couldn't bring him back. So then, 
two months after she loses her dad, she, she discovers she's got a secondary cancer. This is quite common when you go through the chemotherapy. So some, sometimes they're not sure, but it, so maybe it's a treatment, but it causes secondary cancers. So she's dealing with this secondary cancer now as, as well. But thankfully, over the last year, the treatment she's been getting has, has been tremendous. I mean, she's, it's, she goes every two to three weeks, has the immunotherapy. There's no side effects, and, and she's alive, and she's, she feels well. And, and uh, the doctors are confident that this can, can be cleared. But I have to wonder, when someone so young has faced, she's faced this with incredible poise and, and bravery. I don't think I would face it the same way. She's faced the loss of her parents. She's faced the reality of her own death, come face to face with her own mortality in a way that most of us were just able to put off for another day, another day, when I'm older, when I'm older, right? But she's come face to face with that. And I'm amazed how she's carried herself through this. At no point has she become bitter. But of course, there is this deep, deep sadness and aching and loss and profound longing that goes along with, with all of that. And dare I say to someone like that, oh, death's no big deal. This is a natural course of events. This is the way things have always been. This is the way things are supposed to be. Is that the comfort I want to offer? And is that the comfort that the New Testament offers someone like that? Martha called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, right? The entire Bible, just those two words, Jesus wept, and yet in those two words we have incredible insight into what Jesus really, his perspective on death really is. Because outside Lazarus' tomb, it's interesting, he's the Lord of life, right? And, and you would think maybe we'd have a different response, but the Lord of life stands outside Lazarus' tomb. And he doesn't say, oh, it's okay, that's not the, it's okay, that's not the end. This is just a transition into another room. It, it, it's really uh, no big deal. That This is a natural course of events. This is the way things are supposed to be. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say any, not a word, not a word of that. Instead, we're told that Jesus is deeply moved and that he is troubled. The Lord of life is troubled and that he wept. He is deeply moved, he is troubled, and Jesus wept. I don't think Jesus saw death as natural, but an unnatural intruder into God's good earth. And so Christian comfort comes, not from belittling death and diminishing death and saying it's no big deal, but actually recognizing the, the gravity of death and then embracing the promise, the, the promise of God to set this world to rights, the promise of God to defeat death, to actually overcome and end death's rule and reign and sovereignty right here in this creation. And here is how God makes that promise right in the middle of time and space. 
and matter. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the tomb had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Back in Narnia, in the land of Narnia, the lion Aslan, who is the Christ figure in those stories, is slain. But there's a deeper magic at work, more powerful than the magic of the wicked Ice Queen. And this means that death cannot hold him, and he's raised to life. And in the description of what happens next, Lewis, I think, captures in his uniquely insightful way the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now the snow was really melting in earnest, and patches of green grass were beginning to appear in every direction. Unless you've looked at a world of snow as long as Edmund had been looking for it, you will hardly be able to imagine what a relief those green patches were after the endless whites. Every moment the patches of green grew bigger and the patches of snow grew smaller. Every moment more and more of the trees shook off their robes of snow. Then the, mist, then the mist turned from white to gold and presently cleared away altogether. Shafts of delicious sunlight struck down onto the forest floor, and overhead you could see a blue sky between the treetops. There was no trace of the fog now. The sky became bluer and bluer, and now there were white clouds hurrying across it from time to time. In the wide glades there were primroses. A light breeze sprang up with scattered drops of moisture from the swaying branches and carried cool, delicious scents against the faces of the travelers. The trees began to come fully alive. The larches and the birches were covered with green, the laburnums with gold. Soon the beech trees had put forth their delicate, transparent leaves. As the travelers walked under them, the lights also became green. A bee buzzed across their path. This is no Thor, said the queen's minion, suddenly stopping. This is spring. Or as the theologian N.T. Wright puts it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not an odd event within the world as it is, but the foundation of a new world the world as it has begun to be. It is not an absurd event within the old world, but the symbol and starting point of the new world. The resurrection ushers in not simply a new religious possibility, not simply a new ethic or a new way of salvation, but a new creation. I'll read that last bit again, because the resurrection ushers in not simply a new religious possibility, not simply a new ethic or a new way of salvation, but a new creation. This is God's affirmation of the goodness of his creation and his promise to set this world to rights, to redeem it, to restore it from the grave. And what, Jesus, what God has done for Jesus, the promise is, I am going to do for creation on a cosmic scale. But how can we believe this? 
How dare we believe what the New Testament authors believe? How dare we hope for what they, how can we dare to hope for what they hope for? As I've said before, and I'll say it again, there, this is probably the best attested, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the best attested fact in, in history. There are mountains of historical evidence, and there are people working in places like Oxford who have come to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not because they believe in God, because they didn't, and not because they've got a prior commitment to the scriptures, because they don't, but simply because they're good historians. They're good historians. And so as I've been saying lately, Christian hope is not just a matter of metaphysical speculation, but it's about historical investigation. Christian hope, it's, it's about an event that takes place in the middle of space and time and matter. It, it takes, and it's, God's hope is brought forward into the center of history. And so it's not just a matter of metaphysical speculation, it is a matter of historical investigation. So yes, we could sort of back up the truck and dump all of the historical evidence on us this morning, but this morning I will take another approach to this question. The philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein once said, it is love that believes the resurrection. It's a haunting phrase. What does he mean by this? Well, perhaps what Wittgenstein means is that when you love someone deeply, truly, just investing yourself, pouring yourself into that relationship, the promise of the resurrection becomes clearer, gains a clarity and, and, a, and an intensity that it may not have had before. It is love that believes the resurrection. As I said earlier, last week I spoke to a friend for what will be the last time. He has that rare degenerative disease and he's degenerating fast and he will be gone this week. And in the course of our conversation, he said that one of the most important things that he had experienced in life was community. And he was talking about the community he'd experienced here at this church. And he said that it was crucial to have this community which transcended tribe and, and allowed people to be together and be there for each other. And he, he said that uh, it had been crucial for them, him and his wife, when they had been struggling before they got married, just struggling in life and in their relationship. It was crucial to help them find each other again, community, and, and it was what ended up bringing them back together and allowing them to end up being together as husband and wife. And so he said, this is the most important thing that I've experienced in life. And, and so it's such a clarity, such a clarity. It's interesting, isn't it? This, this sort of, when you're faced with your own death, suddenly all of the Everything else gets reordered, and you suddenly have a clarity about what really, really matters and what really counts. My friend is still so full of life, honestly. I mean, you, you, you look at him, and, and he's, he's as sharp as ever. His humor is as sharp as ever. He's really funny, and it's hard to believe he's in his final days. And we, we just talked about everything from community to football to the war in Ukraine, Will Smith slap, and, of course, we talked about, and we talked about the unfathomable experience that he and his wife were going through. And of course, of course we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is love that believes the resurrection. So that as we stand by the graveside of the people we love, broken over the loss and longing to experience once more all the goodness and all the beauty 
that that person brought into our lives, to see them and to feel them near us, to talk and to dream and to laugh together again. Oh yes, it's love that believes the resurrection so that we dare to believe and hope that one day God in all his goodness will redeem us from the grave and restore us to each other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that event in the middle of history and time and space and matter where you affirm the goodness of your creation and your determination that your plan for creation will move forward, your plan for humanity will move forward. And so, yes, as different friends and all of us face death, we mourn, but we do not mourn as those without hope, but we mourn as those with hope. And we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him. Amen. Amen.